0: It's December 27th, 2017, and welcome to another edition of Bite Marsh Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's science, technology, and innovation. I'm Bert Lum. And
1: I'm Ryan Ozawa. First up, we're going to have Jody Ito from the University of Hawaii's ITS department, and she's here to tell us about the upcoming Gen Cyber Campfire.
0: And then we'll talk about the agriculture industry and the upcoming Ag Hackathon. Called the Agathon. Mm. And of course, we've got Brian Moro. He's the executive director of the Hawaii Farm Bureau here.
1: But before all of that, an update here. As you may know, we are making our year end rally. We want to get 300 new members here at Hawaii Public Radio to unlock a matching gift of over $22 thousand dollars so it's near the end of the year you're probably looking for a few more great causes to support for your taxes well i think this is a great opportunity if you are not a member please support the programming that you count on and enjoy all year round you can make your tax deductible new member donation before december 31st you just go to org and click on donate or you can just call 955 during business hour so that would probably be tomorrow all gifts new renewing or additional are welcome and tax deductible once more if received by December 31st we are up to 125 new members we're making progress but we need more of you we want to say a big mahalo to Laurie Okinaga of Honolulu, Amy Blackman from Pasadena, California Woo-hoo! and Jonathan Kuamo'o from Makawao we also have Primo Legasso Goldberg from IEA, Kathy Durr from Bryn Mawr,
0: Pennsylvania and Teresa Kreef from KaiMuki. Mahalo to you. Very good. And of course, we have Jodi Ito in the studio with us, and she's from uh the University of Hawaii ITS and she's the information security officer. She's here to tell us about the Gen Cyber Campfire. It's the first time I've heard of the campfire, but Jody, what is it all about?
2: So this is actually a cybersecurity exercise. It's a capture the flag exercise. We're targeting high school students. Um Predominantly, those students who attended Gen Cyber Camp, but we're opening it up to all high school students. The goal of the exercise is to introduce high school students to cybersecurity. So, Campfire Fire FIRE stands for forensic, incident response, and reverse engineering. Wow! Oh, I like that. Yeah. So, all of the challenges are built around real life incident. So some of the things happened at UH, some of the things that happened around the country. You may
1: have seen in the news.
2: Absolutely. So it's really to get the students to get some hands-on experience to look at what it takes to be an incident responder in a cybersecurity incident.
1: You described it as a capture the flag. If I understand correctly, that's essentially you playing the role of a hacker to penetrate a system or something else?
2: A little bit different. So our spin on it is that we will present you with what we call artifacts of evidence. So mm. things that would be left behind in a security incident. And then you as a participant needs to analyze those artifacts to determine what happened. Hmm. And then the thing that you find becomes the flag that you enter into what we call the scoring engine to track your progress.
0: Now, what, I mean, you don't give away the actual ones, but what <laughs> would an actual artifact Look like?
2: Could be a spear phishing email. It could be a web page where somebody had maliciously implanted some malware. It could be logs from um, any of your operating systems. It could also be what we call a packet capture, what actually is transmitted over the network. And you actually need to take a look at it and figure out what's going on. Mm-hmm. So in many ways,
1: it's a it's it's a forensic sort of exercise. And certainly reviewing logs doesn't sound like the most fun thing to do, but it is certainly a real-world application of what you would do to try to understand what happened in a compromised computer system.
2: Absolutely. And so a lot of times you hear about, oh, I want to be a hacker. I want to be a white hat pen tester to try to infiltrate uh, company security defenses. But most of the time, it's about what happens after an incident. It Has there been an actual breach? What exactly went on? Can we tell what the malware did? And so that actually is probably, a, I would say, 75% of the job.
0: And if you're actually kind of investigating and looking for evidence and looking for the, 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 the breadcrumb trail, I mean, it could be actually a fun exercise to look through logs because you might find some anom- anomalies in there, right?
2: Actually, it is true. And then you go, I wonder what this is. And then you dig a little bit more, and it leads you to another, yet another computer where you have to look at another set of logs. So it really is, uh, you have to have a passion for solving puzzles. Mm-hmm. Now, is
1: it going to be a multi-layered puzzle? or I mean, for example, if you're looking at a robbery or a burglary at a home, you're like, okay, well, the window's broken, and they went to this room. But with a uh, computer uh exploit. It might be they came in a certain way. And also you need to assess what they access, what they could have had access to. Is, is it multi-stepped uh, that way, uh, this exercise?
2: So in this particular exercise, it is not. So most of the individual challenges are kind of a, an all-out ending thing, mm-hmm. right? it's um, In some of our previous exercises we've done before, it was multi-layered. But again, this is only a half-day event, sure. and we're trying to keep it um, manageable. And actually, a lot of these students have not been exposed to this Before, So it's brand new to them. Uh, We will have some industry professionals who actually ran through the exercise. We did it for the industry in December. And so they're going to come back to be able to mentor the high school students and help them along. How are you getting the word out to the high schools? Through... Hawaii Public Radio okay, and your okay, show good. right here. Um, but actually, we sent out a bunch of emails. Uh, we are posting it through the Pacific Center for Advanced Technology Training. They have a lot of their social media mm-hmm, sites. PCAT, yeah. mm-hmm. PCAT. And so that's actually where the event will be held. So it's January 3rd mm-hmm. uh, from 9 to 1 at uh, PCAT. And if you want to register, again, this is open to high school students. We're going to close registration on Friday, December 29th at 4.30 p.m. Ah, So get in your registration now. To register, go to gencyber-hi.org.
0: Great. We'll put that up on our show notes, and and January 3rd, of course, is not too far away. It's actually next week, Wednesday.
2: Next week, Wednesday. It's right around the corner, so we still have a few seats open, and again, open to all high school students. So if you have a high
1: school student that's curious about cybersecurity as a potential future career, this is a great event for them.
2: Absolutely, and it's a competition, so there will be prizes for the winners. I like that.
0: Well, Jordi, thanks for joining us. Thank you. And, of course, we'll take a short break, and when we return, we'll be joined by Brian Miyamoto, and he's, of course, with uh, the Farm Bureau, and we'll talk about the ag industry and the role technology can play. This is Bite Marks Cafe.
3: Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, whose contributors help Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to the St. Andrews Schools, which includes the Priory School for Girls, the Prep for Boys, and Queen Emma Preschool. I am one of those millennials that likes to set it and forget it. I have a thousand and one things to do, so if I can create a way that HPR is supported through my donations without me having to continually check on it or remember to pledge... I think it puts a different value on what I'm doing with my money. Hi, I'm Nicole Reed, and I am a very proud, sustaining member of Hawaii
2: Public Radio.
0: Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. And, of course, joining us now, Brian Miramoto. Brian is, of course, the Executive Director of the Hawaii Farm Bureau, which approximately has, what, 2,000 members and a... Is the voice for Hawaii's agriculture industry,
1: and we're going to explore what challenges face Hawaii's farmers and what technology can play to help them succeed. Welcome to Bite Marks Cafe,
3: Brian. Aloha, thank you, Bert. Thank you, Ryan, for inviting the Farm Bureau to sit in today.
0: So these two thousand members—I mean, what this Farm Bureau's been around for quite a while, right?
3: Yes, we've been around since uh, 1948. It looks start... like you've been
0: there from the very beginning, too.
3: <laughs> Second year, 1949, I started. <laughs> Started in 1949. You I look a, fantastic. You look You're, fabulous. Let's all of the local produce. It's eating local, eating right, eating healthy.
0: That's good, good. So, in terms of you know, like establishing this voice, I mean, you have a cross section of members, I guess, all the way from farmers to, to industry people, right?
3: Absolutely. Uh, you know, the Farm Bureau was started by farmers. It's run by farmers, and we represent all farmers, all farming practices mm-hmm. organic, conventional, biotechnology. We also represent all sizes of farmers, large, small, medium. We believe we need all the farmers, all the ranchers, working together if we want this industry to succeed. Mm -hmm.
1: And what is the primary mission or activity of the Farm Bureau? I mean, certainly allowing this cross-section of the industry to interact, maybe share knowledge, and certainly uh, get involved when there might be legislation that affects them. But uh, how would you characterize as the mission of the
3: Bureau? Again, I think it was stated earlier, we're the voice of agriculture. We advocate for farmers and ranchers. They're busy. Out on the fields, Mm. in their farms, on their ranches, in the packing houses, um, out. At the farmers' markets, out selling, mm-hmm. um, yes. harvesting, planting, doing everything that farmers and ranchers do. So they don't have the time. So we, we act as a, almost like a trade union for farmers. We represent them. We represent their interests. We want them to succeed. Um, you know, we want them to be profitable. We want them to have a good quality of life, and that's what we do at the Farm Bureau. We support our farm families.
0: So the Farm Bureau is is instrumental in all the farmers' markets. Is that correct?
3: Not all, but we do operate some of the major farmers markets. Uh, you know, the People's Open Market's been around for quite a while here in the city and county of country, Honolulu, but we really believe that the KCC farmers market, mm-hmm. started by former president Dean Okimoto, Conrad mm-hmm. uh, Donaka from the Culinary Institute, and Joan Nam Koon along with our executive director at that time, Alan Takimoto, really uh, contributed to the boom. And the popularity of the farmers markets. You know, it started back in two thousand and three. And that's not to say there weren't other markets mm-hmm. during that period. But you know, it was a true farmers markets where it wasn't trinkets, it wasn't imported produce, it was all about the local farmers' products, you know, be it fresh fruits or vegetables or nursery products, also value added products and prepared hot prepared foods. Again, it, it was an opportunity for our farmers to sell directly to the consumers. So not only would they get to learn about the farmers and their farms and how they grow, but also an opportunity to for the Farm Bureau and our farmers to educate the public about local agriculture. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, let's
1: talk about the agriculture industry in Hawaii in general. I mean, certainly we have a rich history. We have pineapple. We have sugar. Um, but we're in a new time now where I think uh, it's frequently said that the The islands used to have enough agriculture to feed a population of a million here on the island. Now we import over 90 percent of our food to sustain ourselves. But that doesn't mean that agriculture is tiny or insignificant. It's just that it's focused in certain and particular ways. How would you characterize the state of agriculture in Hawaii today?
3: You know, there's no denying that agriculture has declined, you know, um, for the last several decades, and it's a more diversified agriculture. Uh, As you said, uh, Ryan, it was dominated by sugar and pineapple, and agriculture was such a, you know, I think at one point was the number one industry here in Hawaii. We're surpassed by mostly every other industry. Tourism is number one. Uh, But it's still uh, an industry that's got opportunity uh, because we're so small now. Um, You know, it's one of the only industries here in Hawaii, one of the only sectors that has opportunity for growth. And, you know, we keep talking about here about food security, sustainability, um, all those buzzwords. Um, and unless we truly support agriculture and make an investment, I don't know if that'll happen. You reference what we import. And I think the numbers that we hear, 85, 90% of food we import. But that's actually all foods. That's uh, prepared foods. That's processed foods. That's, you know, rice and, uh, potatoes, things that we don't necessarily grow here. But we do have a vibrant, diversified agriculture industry, which does include, you know, um, not just fruits and vegetables, but macadamia nut and coffee are iconic crops. Uh, we still have pineapple. And even with the closing of HCNS, we still have sugar. Mm. Uh, people are growing sugar, you know, to make rum. Um, you know, we have aquaculture and aquaponics, which are growing industries here in Hawaii.
0: Now, you said that the uh, Farm Bureau is pretty heavy into the whole advocacy uh, arena, And, of course, one of the objectives as we started to, as we, you know, uh, we'll talk a little bit about the Ag Hackathon. But, you know, when we started to look at the objectives that are set for the state and the governor had set the objective of of doubling food production by 2020. And, of course, when you look at that statement, you first off ask, uh, so what is what is what constitutes food production? And maybe maybe you can help us understand what is what is included in this umbrella of food production?
3: Okay. And and you know, we appreciate a, a goal being set. At mm-hmm. least a goal mm-hmm. is being set, like they did with the uh, renewable energy sector, something to shoot for. Um you know, the Farm Bureau, I I, I forgot to preface it, we do support all A. Ag- not just food. I know I talked about all ag, about the different growing practices, but, you know, food, feed, fiber, fuel, and floor culture. Mm-hmm. So, you know, specifically with the governor's goal, it is uh, re- referencing food. And when we think about food, I think we're thinking about livestock, cattle, uh, hogs, chickens, eggs, aquaculture, fruits and vegetables, vegetables. Um, you know, tropical fruit, specialty crops, milk, I think that's kind of when the governor said setting this goal. I think that's what he's wanting to focus on. Mm-hmm. Certain commodities, um, you know, not to say that macadamia not or even coffee is considered food, but I'm not sure if that's in the the, the scheme of what he's looking for. Even sugar when we had it. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that was in his doubling uh, production Goal, But I think
1: one of the challenges that we face is having to, the ability to put our hands or arms around what we are producing today in terms of the numbers, the statistics, the measurements. Um, when you say you want to double it, you need a starting point, a baseline to work from. And from what I understand, one of the, the challenges we currently face is a lack of information about current uh, agricultural practices and production.
3: Absolutely. Back in 2009, um, during the rift, the reduction in force, you know, during the recession, mm-hmm. you know, all uh, departments got hit, state departments got hit, but Department of Ag was one of the hardest hit. I think they lost maybe 40% of his number here, but one of the big losses was their market analysis branch. The branch that was in charge of, of gathering the data mm-hmm. um, to understand where we are, what we're producing. So you're absolutely right. I mean, we're always talking about you know increasing food production and now Goa has been sent to double, but what are we doubling from? Mm-hmm. And I believe there are efforts uh, in the Department of Agriculture uh, to try to get that baseline information Okay, what do we want to double? Because, you know, there's certain crops like sweet potato that we believe we're at 100%. Uh, in season, watermelons, you know, we're close to 70%, 80%. So um, where are we trying to double? What can we double? You know, and we really talk about, again, we're a diversified crop uh, state now with, with, with agriculture. But, you know, certain crops, import replacement crops, things that are going be, to be bought on a daily basis. You know, there's a little bit more focus on that. Grow it here versus importing it in. Okay, you increase the increased economy here. Uh, understand, our uh, study was done by the College of Tropical Agriculture and Department of Ag. You know, I think replacing 10 percent of our imports would result in about 300 million dollars uh, staying here in our economy, but also by growing more and importing less. We're less at risk of introducing invasive species. Mm-hmm. Now, they like they like to hop on a lot of the stuff that we import here for uh, our residents. Mm-hmm. So,
0: Brian, what would be one of the challenges in terms of collecting data to establish a baseline? Is it is it the farmer needing to put in what kinds of produce he's he's uh, let's say harvesting, and where are some of the problems that you know that it occur in collecting that data?
3: Again, when you have a uh, department responsible for that, you know maybe. Uh, putting some of the resources there so you have the people that can actually go out mm-hmm. and work with the farmers. But, you know, speak on the technology side, absolutely. Uh, you know, most of our farm, not most, but a lot of them do have smartphones, but, you know, record-keeping some kind sometimes can be a little bit burdensome, um, but making it easier for them to, to be able to track or, or anyone, an entity, an agency, an organization, to really track what's being grown, how much is being grown so we have, again, that baseline, that data that we can start off. At and then say, okay, we want to double or triple or whatever the ultimate goal is going to be. Mm -hmm. Um, But at least having that data, but again, that technology to assist our farmers in that data collection or having a hub where someone could collected. And and historically, it's been the Hawaii Department of Agriculture.
1: Mm -hmm. Now, I do want to get to some of the technological ideas and opportunities to try and help the agriculture industry. But you did mention, you know, some of the challenges that farmers face, including, you know, invasive species and things uh, of that nature. But Hawaii did recently have a struggle with rat lungworm. It's, that, in fact, an ongoing one in terms of its impact on local produce. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that, because even though it was a, it is still a re- well-identified uh, regional issue, it is having statewide
3: implications. Yes, and I think that speaks to this whole uh, food safety um, effort. You know, the federal government now has the Food Safety Modernization Act, so it's not uh, yeah. voluntary anymore. It, it, it's somewhat regulatory. Um, And uh, again, that record keeping and things that need to be done by the farmers, um, you know, with rat lung. And again, you know, we want people out there to continue to support buying local, uh, minimize your risk, wash your produce. Uh, You know, it is uh, unfortunate that we do have it. But, you know, we do need to also talk about controlling the vectors, controlling the rats and the slugs and the snails and using um, IPMs. Uh, using good pest management, integrated pest management, to reduce um, the populations of these pests that are the carriers. Um, you know, farming is a struggle, and that's something that our farmers are constantly faced with. with you know, we live in a tropical environment, so invasive species, they thrive here. And uh, unfortunately, the rats and the slugs and snails are carriers um, or vectors or holes for rat lungworm. Mm-hmm. You know, um,
0: if you're just joining us, we're talking to Brian Miyamoto. He's the executive director of the Hawaii Farm Bureau. And we're talking about some of the uh, challenges that are facing the agriculture industry uh, in Hawaii. And, of course, so Brian, you mentioned the the Food Safety Modernization Act. And this is the federal act that is going to impact a lot of the, you know, the producers of, of uh, farm products. How does it actually, you know, as a farmer, how would it impact me? I mean, what would I need to now do to be compliant to to this act?
3: You know, unfortunately, FISMA is kind of a moving target. Although okay. it was passed years ago, but one other things is is water quality again. It's 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 growing food safely, but water quality tests again it it creates more regulations and more burdens on the farmers who we believe are are you know, doing their best to produce safe food. But it is regulatory now, and, and you know, again, a lot of it is going to be insurance and consumer-driven. But one of the first steps is just water quality. Here on Oahu, a lot of guys are on municipal water, uh, not that big of an issue. But our neighbor island guys who are on catchment water are, you know, they've got to first test their water. If their water quality is low, they've got to get that, that treated. Again, the whole idea behind FISMA is, you know, having the agriculture industry continue to produce Safe food, But, you know, record keeping on, um, you know, your inputs that you're using, your fertilizers, your pesticides. So all these different components of food safety puts the burden on, on a lot of our farmers. And we believe the small farmers, you know, struggle with it. A lot of our larger farmers are already doing some type of food safety mm-hmm. protocol mm-hmm. because their buyers are requiring, requiring it. And, you know, they may have more resources. But it's our small farmers. So there are efforts out there as far as funding. Um, To help our farmers comply, the legislature has been very generous um, and very supportive on trying to um, provide resources for our small farmers because, um, you know, he's not on today. But, you know, Director Enright has stated several times that he believes in his estimation that, you know, with FISMA and once it needs to be implemented, you know, potentially 30 percent of our farmers may not be able to farm anymore Mm -hmm. due to the requirements of Mm FISMA.
1: Record keeping is a big part of it. Traceability is a big part of it. I'm part of a startup called Smart Yields, the ag tech startup, which is trying to address some of these. We've talked about FISMA. We've talked about the record keeping piece. Um, but it is an additional burden if the tools are not uh, readily accessible or easy to use because they really need to focus on farming. You know, the, These things are also important, and they can, in fact, be a market advantage when you're fully compliant, but they do take resources.
3: Absolutely. And, and, you know, with the record keeping, we also have a population of immigrant farmers where English is a second language. Mm-hmm, and, you know, mm-hmm. we're trying to address as far as with, with training protocols and with assistance and, you know, having them in English and translating for our, our um, you know, immigrant farming population because we want all our farmers to succeed. Again, you know, we've got about, I think, estimate about 7,000 farmers here in Hawaii. Um, we want that to grow. You know, again, if we're looking to double f- our food production, if we're looking to increase all of ag, you know, we need everybody. We need more farmers. Absolutely. Well, so
0: Ryan mentioned traceability. Can you explain what traceability is and, and how would uh, a system be able to trace something from farm to, let's say, table?
3: You know, it, it it's necessary for the entire distribution chain to be involved in traceability. Uh, we did a project uh, several years ago with the Department of Ag, Agriculture and the federal government. Uh, we tried to do RFID um, mm-hmm. again. I think we talked about that mm-hmm, on this mm-hmm. very show. Basically, yeah. barcoding your ag products, mm-hmm. um, but instead of um, individually barcoding each papaya, we barcoded the Crater. the box. Crater. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But instead of having to scan the box, we had sensors, and as that box was at the farm, it gets scanned as it boarded the truck it gets scanned so you could see the time that it boarded the truck and along its delivery route into we use Armstrong. It got scanned as it went to Armstrong, as it came out of Armstrong and we used Foodland. And as it went to Foodland, the final scan. So we saw the entire uh the chain. Pathway, yeah. The pathway. Uh it wasn't an active where we weren't we weren't tracking temperature, but we were at least tracking the time and the location. The traceability part comes in. If there is something wrong with the produce, we know what boxes Mm -hmm. are where, Mm -hmm. where they've gone, how long they've been there, and it's easier to recall. Traceability has a lot to do with recall in the event that there is some kind of outbreak, you know, um, something wrong with that produce where we need to recall it. We we have a better idea, more specific location of that product versus the products were just in boxes and they went out into the general public. By traceability, we know where it's gone and we can easier... Recall that stuff or at least inform the people where that we think purchased that that specific crop or right. that area from the farm. And that's mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. the concept we're interested And um, talking about creative ideas, people have seen it from the other side that you could be able to go to
1: a restaurant and eat a fish or eat a, uh, a salad and say not only that this came from a local farm, but which local farm? And maybe you can get to know that farm better. And this is a Waimanalo farm or this is a, a big
0: island farm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you bring up a good point with uh, traceability, which kind of leads me to my next question, which is all about sort of egg crime. And we've heard of a lot of situations where, uh, let's say, farm um, like papaya trees are being chopped down or, or people are, getting, are, are losing their crops because people are stealing them. How does food crime and traceability kind of come into play to help identify where these, uh, the, you know, these food products come from? And, and will it help to minimize amount that kind of crime?
3: You know with the RFID program I'm not sure but again you know there is even talk about um, laser scanning yeah. on on the, the skin of the fruit mm-hmm. um, because ag crimes are huge it's not just theft it's vandalism it's it's terrible I mean it's all the things you know people steal from our farmers and maybe the farmer reports them um, you know maybe they get a slap on the wrist or, or you know it's a misdemeanor but there's retaliation so they come back and they, they burn down a, a shed or burn a mm-hmm. tractor mm-hmm. Um but there are laws on the books about, you know, transporting ag products, and that's where it could help as far as the traceability where, you know, you need to show um – um Proof of purchase, or you need to show an invoice or proof of ownership during transportation because ag crimes. uh, You know, we did a a study with the USDA and Department, State Department of Agriculture back in 2004, and the economic impact to our farming community was $11.4 million in 2004. Mm. It's It's almost 2018. So, a lot of, and we know. As a fact, a lot of ag crimes go unreported. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Our farmers just, just don't, they, they, just they accept it, it as yeah. a loss. You know, you hear of, of situations where the borders, they'll grow because they know it'll be, that crop will be stolen. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. unfortunate. It's hard work. That's their money that they put into the ground. Right. They've already spent that money. Right. So ag crimes is a big, big problem um and you know we we hope we can get with this agathon. That's one of the topics that so we can get some help there.
0: Well so the uh, the agathon that we're coming up with it's sort of the the marrying the meeting up of of ag industry as as well as technology and we're hoping to see whether we could perhaps come up with some you know great ideas that might uh, help advance some of the uh, initiatives with the ag industry. I mean another another um area that that was mentioned is this idea of of um let's say Food waste and the value add portion of food waste. You know, I guess we don't have much time, but uh, we can we can we could go on about this for for uh, a long time. But what do you want to see accomplished out of the Agathon? I mean, this Ag hackathon
3: again. You know, having technology help the industry. We understand that that we need technology. You know, with the lack of labor, uh, we need to be more efficient on how we grow. Mm-hmm. Um, and we believe this Agathon—it's outside eyes. Mm-hmm. And it's not just industry. We're we're coming. We're explaining to you the challenges that we have, and hopefully, uh, they can come up with some solutions, or it can start the discussion on those solutions. You know, we encourage everyone to come out because we need different. Uh, you know, different ideas. Mm-hmm. We need a different point of view. Um, you know, the industry is working extremely hard. Our legislative bodies work working extremely hard. Uh, but we need everybody. Again, you know, by local, it matters. It really does. And this is an opportunity to show your support for local farmers and ranchers by coming to this Agathon and assisting us in hopefully finding solutions so we can grow our industry. So, the
1: Ag Hackathon, Bert, tell us where and when and how can people sign up to participate? If you're a developer, a coder, a designer, and you want to help solve some of these challenges, where do you go?
0: Well, that's really nice of you to ask me, Ryan. And, of course, you can go to agathon.eventbrite.com. We actually just secured where we're going to kick this off. It's going to happen over at the Hawaii Agriculture Research, Research Center over in Kunia. So we're going to kick that off over there. And then we're going to also take this um, to the Impact Hub on the 13th and 14th. So that's where the Agathon is. We'll put that up on our show notes. Brian Miyamoto from the Hawaii Farm Bureau, thank you
3: very much for joining us. Bert. Ryan, thank you very much for having me. And we'll see you on January 6th.
0: And of course, uh, I want to thank you for listening to bite Marks C- Cafe. Join us next week when we'll talk about the assisti- assistive technologies and website accessibility.
1: If you miss any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on ByteMarksCafe.org. If you've got comments or suggestions, you can email us at feedback at marks dot org, Or you can find us on Twitter. You can follow me
0: at Hawaii. And of course, I'm at ByteMarks, our engineer is David Chong, and of course you can reach us here every Wednesday on HPR1. Have a happy new year and
1: uh, stay safe. We will see you back here in 2018 for another edition of Bite Marks Cafe.